How good are you at spotting red flags? And no, we're not talking about your friend's new partner. We are talking about red flags and investments, what to watch out for, and how you can avoid them. All on this week's episode of the Stocks and Savings Podcast. Hi, we're Andrea and Jamie, two millennial investors and chartered accountants that are here to help you become more confident about the world of investing and finance. We want to give a disclaimer that we are not financial advisors. Nothing in this podcast should be treated as financial advice. This is for educational purposes only. When investing, your capital is at risk and the value of your investments may rise and fall. We'd like to thank our season sponsor Trading212 for helping us bring you this podcast. Trading212 is an investing platform which aims to democratize investing and it's also the platform that we have used since we started. But more on that later on. We're actually filming this during the weekend because next week we are traveling to Romania, my home country, and we never managed to do any work over there. So we're pre-recording this. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, Wizair isn't the best airline, you know, on a good day. But I don't think they'll let us take our entire shed with us so that we can record the podcast on Tuesday. In other news, later today, we're going to play interactive darts. So that's going to be fun. It's going to be me, Jamie, and one of my girlfriends. So yeah, I don't think I'm going to be very good at it. Laura doesn't think she's going to be very good at it either, but maybe she'll surprise us. And last time Laura was around here, we played shuffleboard, didn't we? And that was really the first time that we had ever played it. Yeah, we had a nice match of England versus Romania. I think you won the last match, didn't you, the two of you? So yeah, the first match, I think we were just getting used to it, you know? So you won that one. But the one that actually mattered, the last match, we won. Well, hopefully I'll put that right with darts today. Tune in next week to find out who won. But anyway, red flags, company red flags, that is. Do you want to start with the first one? Ah, yes, I guess we can't get away with talking about darts and shuffleboard. Even though it is a Saturday, we've got weekend vibes, but those are about to be ruined by talking about everything that could go wrong with a potential investment. Or at least things that shareholders and potential investors should be looking out for. So we're bringing you five red flags today. And I'll start with number one. And arguably, this is the biggest red flag that investors need to watch out for. The first red flag that we're going to be looking at is poor management. Now, the management team of a business are responsible for the strategic direction of the company, they're responsible for the culture, and they're responsible for making sure that the profit that a business generates gets used as effectively as possible. These are all things that can make or break an investment. A high-quality management team can drive a business onto great success, but a poor management team can drive a company into the ground. Let's break this down into why poor management can lead to a poor investment, starting with the strategic direction. And this is just a fancy way of talking about the route that a company is planning to go down in the future in order to have as much success as possible. Now, the best management teams know their industries like the back of their hand. And it shows because the companies that they manage always seem to be ahead of the competition. However, some management teams can often have too much of a short-term focus and lack a strategic direction that will work for long-term shareholders. If a management team doesn't know where the company is heading over the next few years, then employees won't know where the company is heading, and the entire company can stay stuck where it is while its competitors continue to innovate. Now, we often look to invest in founder-led businesses for this very reason. There's no guarantee But founders of businesses often have a very clear vision on how they want to grow a business over the next 1, 5, 10, and 20 years. 
This will help those companies to stay ahead of the competition and think long term, especially if they come up against poor management teams from other companies who don't have the same kind of vision and who have a focus that's only as short as their contract. In fact, having a short-term focus is another trait of poor management. Some management teams will simply look to generate returns for shareholders over a one-year period, which could mean cutting costs, failing to invest in the business, and using the cash to pay large dividends. This may be okay for a large company in a pretty stagnant industry, but ultimately it is growth of some form that will drive returns for shareholders. And if management are failing to invest for the long-term, then long-term shareholders are likely to lose out. So how can you differentiate between good management teams and the bad? Well, first and foremost, this is probably the hardest red flag to spot. We're not in there working in the business, sitting in the boardroom and understanding the culture that's created. In our experience, a lot of these issues are much more obvious in hindsight. But there are always red flags along the way. One company that we both invested in where we overlooked red flags in management was Unity Software. For context, Unity Software is a US video game software development company whose Unity game engine can be used by game developers of all sizes to create video games. Unity also offers advertising services for game developers who use its platform. The company did still have founders involved when we invested, which was a plus. However, the CEO was not a founder. His name is John Riccitello, and he is still the CEO of Unity. But I can't think of another company where the business itself has been so good, but management have made so many missteps. One of the biggest issues for us was what we perceived to be a lack of transparency from Riccitello. For background, Unity Software has advertising tools that helps game designers to advertise their games, and Unity makes a small fee from that. But here's the issue. Back in 2021 and 2022, Unity's advertising business started to decline. At first, management said it was no problem. Then management said, oops, actually, there is a problem, but it won't have much of an impact. Then they said, okay, so the problem is still there, but we fixed it. And then they said, we're going to spend $4.4 billion to acquire a company that can do our advertising for us. Does this sound like a management team that knows what they're doing? No, it does not. And shareholders have been punished, with Unity's shares falling by over 85% from their previous highs. And yeah, it's not even the mistakes, it's the fact that they kept telling shareholders things which, in hindsight, appear to have been quite untrue. Yeah, it's kind of like when your cheating boyfriend says something like, oh, what, that girl? I've never met her in my life. And then two weeks later, it's like, oh, oh yeah, um, he's like, she's like the friend of a friend. And then two weeks later, you find them in bed with each other. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, it is exactly like that. Although they might cost you a little bit less money than Unity investors. But this is just one example of management missteps from Unity. More recently, like over the last month or so, there has been a huge fallout over management's decision to start charging developers a fee every time a game is downloaded. Yeah, who do they think they are? Apple? So for reference, Apple charges app developers a 30% fee, I think, every time their app is downloaded from the App Store. The difference with Apple is they will charge a 30% fee on any payments. If you make a free app and someone downloads it, you don't have to pay Apple anything. But if they pay £5 for the app or it's a recurring subscription, then you have to pay 30%. However, maybe it's just the case that most of these game downloads are not free. So you know that that's why they feel okay with charging a, a flat fee. But if there's any games that are free to download, then game developers could find themselves in trouble if these fees start mounting up. 
Oh, right. I thought it was going to be, yeah, like the Apple model, where if there is a payment, there will be a fee. I think one of the issues is that Unity have kind of flip-flopped as well on what they're saying it is. Obviously, there was a huge backlash, and now they're saying, oh, no, it's not this, it's that, you know, and kind of trying to half backtrack. So I don't actually know what they've settled on right now. But it has already caused massive controversy and brand damage with the independent game developers that are the lifeblood of Unity software being absolutely furious. So how could investors have protected themselves from these red flags? One thing that we like to do is monitor Glassdoor ratings for companies, as these can give a great insight into the culture. Looking at Unity's Glassdoor page, we can see that the company's rating has fallen from 4.3 stars out of 5 to just 3.4 over the past 18 months. For context, over 4 stars is good, under 3.5 is not. Kind of like Google reviews for restaurants. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of our rule of thumb, isn't it? We'll go to somewhere if it's rated higher than 4 star and... If it's less than three and a half star, we'll run away. I mean, yeah, it served us well so far, I think, that rule. Apart from in touristy places, we found that restaurants are really highly rated, but they're not usually that good. Or like, we've sometimes been disappointed by really highly rated restaurants. Yeah, that's true. We could go to like two restaurants, both rated 4.5 stars, both around a similar price. And the food at one of them is clearly so much better than the other. Oh, God, yeah. Do you remember the soupy pasta from Rome? Not great. So we did check Glassdoor for Unity before investing, and yeah, it had good ratings then, but clearly they went downhill and we weren't monitoring them. However, our biggest mistake was probably not doing any research on CEO Riccitello. He had previously been the CEO of EA, a huge name in the gaming world, and had a mixed time at the business. He was very acquisition happy, which is where companies go out and buy lots of other companies and just kind of bring them into the business. It's one way to grow, but it involves spending a lot of money and a lot of risk in case the acquisition doesn't pay off, doesn't deliver the benefits that it was meant to. And to be honest, this happens more often than not with acquisitions. That is why acquisition-happy businesses can be a red flag if done badly. Riccitello also failed shareholders during his time at EA, with the share price falling by a staggering 71% during his tenure as CEO from 2007 through to 2013. This did coincide with the Great Recession, but it was an undeniably poor performance. Even during his time at Unity, there have been huge red flags that we didn't see before investing. He has been accused of sexual misconduct, and he recently referred to game developers who are Unity's main clients, as some of the biggest effing idiots, although he didn't say effing. Clearly, this doesn't seem like someone that you would want to work for or invest in, and shareholders have been duly punished. There are plenty of examples of brilliant leaders in our portfolios. Airbnb co-founder and CEO Brian Chesky is one that we think is brilliant, as well as co-founder and CEO of The Trade Desk Jeff Green and Axon CEO and founder Rick Smith. It can often be so clear in hindsight when a management team is poor and when it is great. So here's three things we will do in future to try and proactively protect ourselves from investing in companies with poor management. One, we will research the CEO for at least two minutes. This would have given us the information we needed on Riccitello to have some doubts and maybe dig further and decide that this is not someone we want leading a company that we are investing in. Two is be relatively ruthless when it comes to honesty. If a management team says that something is going to happen and then it doesn't happen, judge them harshly. 
If they hold their hands up, accept responsibility and say that they'll do better, cut them more slack. But if they just try and justify it and continue to seem dishonest, it is a red flag. Just like in a relationship. And three, monitor Glassdoor ratings. When we first invested in Unity, it had great Glassdoor scores, but these deteriorated rapidly over the past 18 months, and that would have given us a good indication about what was happening inside the company. So this has been a fairly long section, but it's probably the most complex of the red flags to explain because it's rarely black and white, and information is not easy to find. But to summarize, we can't stress enough just how important the quality of a management team is for an investment, particularly if the company is looking to grow and disrupt and innovate in its industry. Management teams can make or break an investment, and that's why a poor management team is a red flag in a potential investment. All the stocks mentioned in this episode can all be found on Trading212. The next 45 seconds are kindly sponsored by Trading212, but we have used Trading212 long before we had a partnership with them. Now, one of the reasons why we chose Trading212 for our stocks and shares ISAs is the wide range of investments available, from index funds and ETFs, including Vanguard ETFs, to stocks like the ones mentioned in this episode, there's something to suit most investing styles. This gives us the flexibility to diversify our portfolios, a strategy which can reduce risk when investing. But it's not only that, Trading212 also has some of the lowest fees in the industry and the app is really easy to use. Last but not least, Trading212 has a 4.6 out of 5 star rating on Trustpilot. If you sign up to Trading212 using the referral link in the description and deposit at least the minimum amount required for Invest or ISA accounts, which at the time of recording is £1, you can get a mystery free share worth up to £100. Terms and conditions apply. The second red flag that we're going to talk about is extreme share price movements. This one is a bit easier to explain than the first red flag. If a company's share price has seen a sharp, short-term increase or decrease in value, then investors need to be on the lookout for red flags. Let's start with a sharp decrease. Now, if a company I own or a company that I'm thinking of buying sees its shares drop by 20 or 30 or 50% in one day, my brain's thought process is this. Whatever happened can be that bad, and my long-term vision for the company still seems like it could happen. So, I want to buy some shares at this new cheaper price. Something that people refer to as buying the dip. The problem is that share prices don't tumble by 25% in a day or 50% in a month for no reason. More often than not, a fall in share price like that is driven by issues with business performance. And issues with business performance can lead to lower future profits. And lower future profits means that a business is likely to be worth less in the future. So it's very easy for us to sit there and say, you know, we're long-term investors and we don't care about short-term issues. But sometimes saying that can cause investors to overlook very real problems with a company. For example, that's exactly what I said when Unity started to see issues with its advertising business. So investors should not just look at a declining share price and think, oh, it's cheaper, I'll buy shares now, until they've understood exactly why shares have crashed and whether or not that represents a buying opportunity or a red flag waving telling you to avoid these shares. We've spoken a couple of times about being able to look through dark clouds for investments and this is when your meteorology skills will come in handy. Look at what appears to be wrong with the business, what's caused the share price to tumble, and ask yourself, are these temporary dark clouds that will just blow away over time, or is this a storm brewing coming to destroy the business? Let's take a look at our favorite example of a company to dunk on, Vodafone. 
Five years ago, its share price was around 165 pence. A couple of years later, shares had declined by 40% to 100 pence. Our instinct was to look and say, well, shares can go much lower, can they? Let's buy some. Shares of Vodafone now sit at 76 pence, which is an additional 24% decline from the previous price of 100 pence and a 54% decline from the share price five years ago. The problem was that Vodafone was and remains in a highly competitive industry that requires so much investment for not that much return. And the reason that shares were declining was because business performance was declining. So clearly it wouldn't have been a great investment. There were no dark clouds that we could see through. There were only dark clouds. On the other hand, a more successful example of seeing through dark skies was my recent investment in Amazon. Shares of Amazon had been more than cut in half from November 2021 to December 2022. And remember, this could be a red flag. So I had to try and understand why. It looked like the market was freaking out because its retail segments had become very unprofitable and its cloud business was slowing down. But in my head, I could see a way out. Retail profitability slipped because inflation was causing the cost of buying, transporting and storing goods to skyrocket. And Amazon had also overexpanded during the e-commerce boom in the pandemic. I believed that inflation would ease up, there would be some cost control measures put in and that Amazon would slowly start to grow into that overexpansion. I also thought that the cloud business would start growing again once the economy started to look more sure of itself, because back in 2022, there was a whole lot of pessimism. Thankfully, this has all played out so far, and shares of Amazon have risen by 50% since that low point in December 2022. So it just goes to show that sometimes a declining share price is a big red flag, and sometimes it's a big opportunity. And this isn't confusing at all, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I know. We're, we're very much talking out of both sides of our mouth here, but is, that's the hard part of investing. And that's the thing with investing in individual companies. You know, you have to be able to see the upside, see the downside and kind of understand that you can't predict anything with complete certainty. So you almost need to be able to talk about the good and the bad. And yeah, it kind of sounds like you're constantly contradicting yourself. But as with something like this, like with Amazon, you know, it's, it's up to each investor to decide whether or not they think a falling share price is a red flag or an opportunity. And you should also be aware, and this is something I'm very much guilty of, that if you already own shares of a company and those shares decline by 30% for some reason, you want to believe that it's only a short-term problem because otherwise you could worry that your entire investment is toast. So just be aware that buying the dip is sometimes falling straight into the hands of a red flag. And very quickly, a sharp increase in share prices can also be a red flag, especially if it's for a smaller company. Smaller companies tend to have more volatile share prices, meaning that they can increase in value very sharply, but they can also decrease in value very sharply. I think our previous episode on artificial intelligence does a good job of outlining the potential red flags here. In short, if share prices are shooting up because a company is dramatically exceeding expectations, then it's less likely to be a red flag. However, if they are shooting up for any other reason, investors should be very wary about investing because shares could come down just as fast. And that is why the second red flag is extreme share price movements. The third red flag that we're going to talk about is fragile financials. Let's start by imagining two people. Call them Taylor and Michael. Taylor has very little debt, she has a lot of cash in savings and investments, and she brings in more money than she spends. 
On the other hand, Michael has a lot of debt, not many cash savings or investments, and he spends far more money than he brings in. You have to give £1,000 to one of these people to look after it, and you'll get back in five years plus a bit of interest. Who will you give it to? Well, you'll probably want to give it to Taylor, the person with not much debt, a healthy amount of cash, and who earns more than she spends. This is because you'd be worried that Michael's lifestyle is unsustainable and that he might end up running out of money very quickly using your £1,000 for himself and you'd never see it again. Funnily enough, companies are exactly the same. You can have some companies who don't have much debt, who have a lot of cash and who also generate a lot of cash. A great example is Airbnb. At the time of recording, Airbnb have $10.3 billion in cash, $2 billion in debt, and the business has generated $3.9 billion worth of free cash flow over the past 12 months. Having strong financials like this means that Airbnb would be well positioned to survive a shock such as a global pandemic or a recession, which it has done very successfully over the past few years. However, some companies are the complete opposite. For example, Unity Software. Now, this was a fairly financially strong company when we first invested in it. However, its recent acquisition resulted in the company having less cash and more debt. Unity currently has $1.6 billion in cash, $2.7 billion in debt, and it has burned $131 million worth of cash in the past 12 months. Now, those numbers wouldn't necessarily give me cause for concern right now as an investor, because it's not like Unity is at risk of running out of cash anytime soon. What this does indicate is that Unity would have significantly less flexibility to cope with any shock, such as a severe recession. Whereas a company like Airbnb would have ample cash to keep its business afloat or cope with sudden losses, Unity would have neither. As a result, it could require more debt in order to stay afloat, which would probably be obtained at pretty rubbish rates due to Unity's dire situation. And if the company did make it through this shock, then it would come out the other side a lot weaker. On the other hand, if it was a company like Airbnb who had loads of cash, then it could actually come out far stronger than its competitors. That's why there are three main things that we look for in businesses that we invest in. The first one is, do they have more cash than debt? The second, are they generating positive free cash flow? And third, do they have strong or growing margins? These can all be found on a company's investor relations page, but we generally look on ticker.com when we want to quickly check anything to do with a company's financials. In short, weak financials are not a problem until they are, and that's certainly a red flag in a business. Not only should it be a red flag if a company has weak financials, but there are certainly signs of this. A company can go from having quite strong financials, but if you see a trend in their numbers where they may be generating less cash or they're growing slowly or they're taking out more debt or the amount of cash they have is shrinking. These are all potential red flags for the company. So if you see any of these trends of deteriorating financials, then you should definitely go and investigate and try and figure out why that's happening because that's how you can spot this kind of stuff before it becomes a full-on red flag. The fourth red flag is arguably the most crucial, and this is a lack of an economic moat. First, let's define what we mean by an economic moat, and we'll start by defining what a moat is. If you're a fan of castles, you'll know that any decent castle will be surrounded by water, with the surrounding water helping the castle to protect itself against anyone who would want to invade it. This is a moat, and the deeper and wider the moat surrounding the castle is, the more difficult it would be for anyone to invade the castle. Economic modes are exactly the same, but in the world of business. 
An economic moat is a durable competitive advantage that a business has, which is a trait that a company has that enables it to compete more effectively than its peers. For example, Coca-Cola's economic moat is its brand. You could have two cans of cola next to each other for exactly the same price, and if one of them is Coca-Cola, then you can bet that more consumers will pick that drink. This allows Coca-Cola to generate more sales or sell its products for a higher price, and it is able to do this for a very long time, since it's really difficult for any new competitors to compete with the strength of Coca-Cola's brand. I think there have been multiple surveys and experiments that show that consumers either prefer the taste of Pepsi in a blind test between Pepsi and Cola, or they just don't perceive any sort of taste difference between the two. But when people can see that they can choose either Coca-Cola or Pepsi, they tend to go for Coca-Cola. So that clearly is because of Coca-Cola's branding. I know, this just sounds like some Pepsi propaganda to me. How much are they paying you? (laughs) I wish. Well, I do think that Pepsi had a huge marketing campaign around that in the 80s. And I think they might have brought it back this year in the UK because I saw it like on some buses. (laughs) But I think there have been studies as well. Like there have been scientific studies. I don't know what these scientists are doing all day. Why are they investigating that? I mean, we're all done with, you know, finding the cures for cancer and everything like that, aren't we? Apparently so. So now instead we can focus on the things that matter. Coke versus Pepsi. Which one would you go with? Me? I actually flip-flop. Like, I don't have one that all my life I've preferred. I like Coca-Cola for a bit, and then I like Pepsi for a bit, and then I like Coca-Cola for a bit. And then you get the Aldi Cola. (laughs) Exactly, and then I go real down market. I think when I was younger, I used to prefer Pepsi because they have the, like, twist lemon flavors or something. I like those. But then I really like Coke Vanilla and, like, Coke Cherry and stuff, so I don't know. But anyway, it is an interesting point that you make that The average person prefers the taste of Pepsi, but you put a can of Pepsi and a can of Coke in front of people, people will go for Coca-Cola. And that shows why Coca-Cola has been able to achieve the level of success that it has for decades, because it has built up such a strong brand that it can make the same product and probably charge a bit more because people will want to buy Coca-Cola. Look, there are so many different economic modes that companies might have, such that we'd probably have to create a new podcast episode if we wanted to go through them. But this is an episode on red flags, and this one is quite obvious. If a business doesn't have any strong economic moats, meaning it has nothing to fend off competition, then the business will struggle and so will shareholders. I think a few examples of companies that didn't have particularly strong economic moats can be seen in the boom and bust of the pandemic. For example, Zoom did extremely well during lockdowns as it was the best software for video calls and it very quickly became a verb at the center of everyone's lives. However, it turns out that it wasn't too difficult to create good software for video calls. Not only did consumers, like everyday people, stop using Zoom after lockdowns, but large business customers instead took advantage of offerings from Microsoft Teams or Google Meet that were far more affordable or that tied in nicely with existing Microsoft and Google products. Since Zoom didn't really have an economic moat, it was easy for customers to switch to alternatives, and shares of Zoom are currently down almost 90% from their all-time highs. Another stock market darling from 2020 was Peloton. With everyone shot in their houses, they were unable to exercise at the gym, and so plenty of people turned to Peloton, a premium exercise bicycle with a built-in tablet that came with a bunch of workout videos. But once again, this company had no economic moat. 
Once the world opened up again, people ditched Peloton's expensive bikes for gyms, actual bikes or cheaper exercise bikes. As a result, shares of Peloton are currently down 97% from their highs. Ouch. And it's hard as well because you could certainly argue that Peloton had brand as an economic moat. And actually, you could argue that for Zoom as well. But this is why one of the other judgments that investors have to make is not just about whether or not a business has an economic moat, but also how strong it is. And that can often be somewhere that investors go wrong. For example, I know and like quite a few investors who were fans of Peloton and Zoom during the pandemic, and they thought that they both had very strong brands that would kind of outlive the lockdowns. But that didn't really pan out. Yeah, Zoom had got to the stage where its name was a verb, right? Like people were Zooming other people and stuff like that. But apparently that wasn't enough. No, exactly. I mean, I feel like that is still the case. People still use it as a verb. But yeah, evidently, that is not enough to deliver great returns for shareholders and great results for the company. Now, another example that hadn't been impacted by the pandemic is a company called Under Armour. This is a company that designs sports apparel, and it looked to be a promising investment at some point. In particular, in the early 2010s, the company had managed to get some momentum behind its brand, and it was gaining in popularity pretty rapidly. Unfortunately, that momentum faded for a number of reasons. Under Armour struggled to compete with the giants of Nike and Adidas, plus consumer preferences started to shift away from Under Armour's performance-focused athletic gear and more towards casual and athleisure wear, which may explain why Lululemon has actually been a great investment. But sadly for Under Armour shareholders, this lack of a strong brand has resulted in the business being unable to effectively compete with its rivals and shares are down by over 75% in the past five years. One of the biggest mistakes that an investor can make is overestimating the economic moat that a company has. And if a company doesn't have any economic moats, then it could easily suffer in the face of competitive pressure with growth slowing, profits falling and unhappy shareholders. This is why the fourth red flag in an investment is a lack of an economic moat. We're going to keep this fifth and final red flag short and sweet. Problems with financial reporting. If a company has problems with financial statements or tells investors that it's having to amend older financial statements, that should ring alarm bells very loudly. Financial reporting is one of the most important things that companies have to do. And if a company is getting this critical part of its business wrong, then what else is it messing up? Problems with financial reporting can lead to a lack of trust from investors, credit rating downgrades, changes in management, and potential legal and regulatory scrutiny. And that is just the beginning. I think legendary investor Warren Buffett put it best when he said, There is seldom just one cockroach in the kitchen. You turn on the light and all of a sudden they all start scurrying around. Basically, this means if you see one red flag in a company such as issues with financial reporting, there tends to be a lot more. He went on to say once again, there's never just one cockroach in the kitchen when talking about US bank Wells Fargo in 2017, after it was revealed that the company had created millions of fraudulent savings and current accounts on behalf of their clients without consent. Since 2017, shares of Wells Fargo have lost 29% for investors. Another great example of why you shouldn't ignore red flags, especially when it comes to companies making errors with their financial reporting or worse, in the case of Wells Fargo. A recent example from a company I actually own is DigitalOcean. 
a relatively small company who had calculated their tax incorrectly when they reported results in August. Shares of the company have since been cut in half over the past few months. Their CEO has been fired and I have sold a substantial amount of my investment. Although in truth, I don't know why I haven't sold everything. I have sold everything. (laughs) I can understand that. And I still, I think, have a small investment in Unity software. Again, I mean, I understand that one a bit more because I do think Unity is a brilliant business, but God, I hate their CEO. Can't believe that he's still around. No, neither can I. I'm desperate for one of the founders to take over because I think they're still like in the C-suite. I think one of them is the chief technology officer and the other one's like the chief operating officer, something like that. Or even the company that they acquired, IronSource, still has their founder as their CEO and did have that at the time. So there's plenty of founders within that business who could replace Riccitello. And maybe that's why I still own a little bit of Unity because I just it keeps me following the company. I think the business itself is brilliant, but the leadership is terrible. Hi, so Jamie here. I'm currently editing the podcast and I was listening to myself talking about the Unity founders and co-founders and hoping that they might take over and thought I'd quickly Google and see what's going on with them. Well, turns out it doesn't look great. One of the co-founders, Nicholas Francis, left his role as chief creative officer in February 2023. And more surprisingly, Unity bought in a new chief technology officer in March, replacing their other co-founder, Joachim Ante. And there's been basically no words from him since he left. And there was nothing about his departure. And I could only find one news post just announcing the new CTO in March 2023. And the third co-founder, David Helgson, does remain on the board of directors, but there's not much of a chance of him getting involved as CEO at any point. The only real viable option to replace Riccatello is a guy called Toma Barziev, who was actually the co-founder and CEO of IronSource, the company that Unity spent $4.4 billion on acquiring. But honestly, this departure of two of their co-founders who were actively quite involved in the business is actually very worrying for investors. So I know I said that I still own a little bit of Unity software and I do, but now I'm not sure how much longer that will be for. Okay, signing off. But anyway, back to this point and the fifth red flag, which should certainly send alarm bells ringing in investors' heads, and that is any problems with financial reporting. A lot of these red flags are not always easy to spot, and we have personally been stung by pretty much all of them. It's often extremely difficult to see them without the benefit of hindsight, but if you do spot them, don't ignore them. Doing that has cost us money in the past, and we hope that by sharing these lessons with you, you'll be able to spot red flags in investments and decide what's best for you going forward. We really hope you found this episode helpful. If you did, take a screenshot of the podcast and share it to your Instagram story and tag us at Stocks and Savings so that we can see it. And please give this episode a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Since we are a smaller podcast, these two things would really help us to reach more people, gain more credibility, and hopefully dedicate even more resources to bring you a podcast that will help you save, invest, and build wealth while enjoying life. Thanks again to our season sponsor, Trading212. And remember to check out the referral link in the description and get your free share worth up to £100. Keep in mind that terms and conditions apply to the offer. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we can't wait for you to join us again next week. Until next time, bye!